And it's Friday, and uh, my voice is just kind of hanging in there. So we're gonna we're gonna go gently today. Um, I went to the Asian food market to buy some cough syrup, which someone had recommended for me. And so far, I'm not coughing that badly, but uh, my throat's a little funky. Here. I want to see this stuff. Is it like yeah. the Tiger Bomb? Of kind <laughs> of. It's Tiger Bomb for the cough. But uh, um, thank goodness we had no names that needed to be added today to the um, list of fallen warriors. But I did want to say that um, last weekend, the Navy commissioned its newest destroyer, the USS Michael Mansour. Uh, and it happened in San Diego, California at the... Naval Air Station, North Island. It is the second ship in the Zumwalt class of destroyers. It is named in honor of the Medal of Honor recipient, Navy Petty Officer Second Class, Michael Mansour, who was posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor for his heroic actions in Ramadi, Iraq, on September 29th of 2006. The Honorable Scott Peters, the uh, Congressman from California's 52nd District delivered the commissioning ceremony's principal address. Sally Mansour, his um, petty officer Mansour's mother, served as the ship's sponsor. You know, his is a great story, a story that uh, needs to be told over and over again. And I think many people have done just that. Uh, and, and and I'm grateful. I'm grateful that there are people who will pay attention to the mighty men and women who serve in the military and the sacrifices they make. Michael Anthony Mansour was a United States Navy SEAL who was killed during Operation Iraqi Freedom and posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor. He enlisted in the United States Navy in 2001 and graduated from basic underwater demolition SEAL training in 2004. Only 250 people that year passed. After further training, he was assigned to Delta Platoon SEAL Team 3. They were sent to Iraq in April of 2006 and assigned to train Army, Iraqi Army soldiers in Ramadi. And over the next five months, Mansour and his platoon frequently engaged in combat with insurgent forces. And on the 29th of September in 2006, an insurgent threw a grenade onto a rooftop where Mansour and several other SEALs and Iraqi soldiers were positioned. Mansour quickly smothered the grenade with his body, absorbing the resulting explosion and saving his comrades from serious injury or death. He died 30 minutes later from wounds caused by the grenade's explosion. And he was posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor, which uh, President George W. Bush presented to his parents. And uh, the second ship, ship in the Zumwalt class of guided missile destroyers has been named in his honor last Saturday. You know, I think about that. I think about the kind of uh, courage it takes to lay on top of a, a live grenade. I think about what that means in terms of how you feel about your brothers and sisters in your battalion, in your unit. And uh, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm stunned. It seems so otherworldly to me. Today, we have people who wouldn't uh, cross the street to help somebody. And yet, we have men and women, a guy born in Long Beach, California, third of four children. His father also was a Marine 
Um, his father is of Lebanese and Irish descent and his mother of Irish descent. And when he was a child, he was afflicted with asthma, but strengthened his lungs by racing his siblings in the family's swimming pool. There's something in a person, and you can see it even when they're young. Um, he attended basic training in Great Lakes, Illinois, which is probably pretty frozen today. Upon graduation from basic training, he attended Quartermaster A School and then transferred to the Naval Air Station in Sinoya, Italy for a short period of time where he entered the basic underwater demolition SEALS training and graduated on September 2004. This is um, the, the story of, of, a, of an American, an American warrior, and it, and it deserves to be told. I will tell you, uh, I had an interesting experience over the last uh, 24 hours. And I'm going to share it only because I think um, it really uh, brought to my attention something that I, I prefer to not think about. You know, um, I'd not heard from a friend in a long time. Uh, the last time we were together, we had sort of a political argument. And, uh, but to me, those are part of life. You know, people don't agree with each other on all the politics. But anyway, I got this email. Um, yesterday which said you know want to get tickets to go see a particular concert um from his wife and i just you know i automatically just answered sure and then i got an email from her this morning saying that was a mistake i didn't mean to send that to you that was to another friend of ours who we're going with and i'm sorry but uh, in spite of the 45 year friendship that you had he simply cannot hang around with you anymore because of your politics and all I could think of was how, how intolerant the left really is. You know, they talk about tolerance, they talk about diversity, but they don't want to live with it. They really can't tolerate different opinions. They really feel as though their opinions are the only ones valid and worthwhile. And it really, um, it really hurts me because this is a person that I, you know, care deeply about. This is my, my son's godfather, you know, that you don't just assign a person that kind of honor without some serious consideration. And uh, we've been through a lot of things together. I've known him since I was 13 years old. So to have him, after 45 years of friendship, declare that, uh, you know, my politics are too, actually 50 years of friendship, that my politics w means he can't talk to me anymore, you know. I never hear conservatives say that. You know, I, I, most of my friends are liberals. If I stopped hanging around with liberals, I wouldn't have all that many friends. You know, I just don't, you know, I, I just don't beat them up about their politics and they don't beat me up about our politics. We agree to disagree. But this is the kind of stuff that has this restaurant in California saying that you can't eat there if you have a MAGA hat on. You know, that it's, a, it's the same as wearing a white hood. You know, Laura Ingram announced on her show, I don't know if it was last night or the night before, because I don't really stay up that late, um, that everybody should wear their hats. You know, that this is insulting, that there are places that are telling us we're not welcome if we wear the hat, and people are telling us, even in my life, that they don't want to be friends with me anymore. You know, I just, I, I reject that. I spent eight years watching people walk around with those O shirts on, you know, and... uh 
I never once thought, well, I can't be their friend because they have the O shirt on. Never, never once thought that. Oh, it just dawned on me. All those kids around here, it's take your kid to work day, isn't it? You just realized, and I'm kind of mad of how they did this today with Brennan. Oh, why? Because he did it at noon, and you're like one of the most important people in his life. That's true, but uh, every party's at noon, you know that. And plus, I don't need to. I sit don't think there. they like me and you. You ever no. notice that every party and every major? It must event, be my politics. What can I tell we're you? On air. <laughs> um, you know what? Though I, I spoke to Brennan. I don't want to sit in a party and compare gifts with other people. Brennan is one of my closest friends. I know. So that's... trust me, my gift is going to be at least as good and maybe better than anybody else's. I don't need to give it to the him in front of them. You know, I'll give that's it to him true. and Danny. Probably. I, I was thinking about that afterwards because I had said it in front of some people. I was like, yeah. "This is messed up that you guys did this at noon, considering Joyce is on there." Yeah, but listen, I'm you know, and I, um, I thought about bringing the gift and just throwing it in there, and then I said, "No, why, why would that would have been that, that would have been you though." Yeah, it would have been me, but I'm trying to be nicer. <laughs> so I, I, um, I told, I took Brennan aside this morning. I say, "Hey, look, you know, I have my gift. I want to give it to Danny and you. I don't really want to do this, you know, party in the." In yeah. the lounge, although I do want some of the chicken salad that they have in there. Yeah, that looks good. Yeah, sure. I got some good stuff in there. So we will, um, at some break, hopefully get in there and be able to get something to eat, even if, if we if don't get the party. <laughs> yeah, well, sales will have destroyed it, but that's for sure. All right, we need to take a break um, and take care of a little business. But, uh, you know, I, this is the first time it really hit home with me that there are people who now don't want to be my friend anymore. And I just, why is the left so so darn intolerant? He said, I'm waiting till February 15th. On February 15th, the committee will come back. And if they don't have a wall, I don't even want to waste my time reading what they have because it's a waste of time. Because the only thing that works for security and safety for our country is a wall. Now, when you couple the wall with sensors and drones and all of these other things, that works as a combination. But if you don't have a wall, they're all just wasting their time. It's just politics. Uh, there's not going to be any wall money in the, in the, in the legislation. Uh, the, um, however, if they have some suggestions about certain localities uh, where um, technology, some infrastructures, I said about the ports of entry, we might need more ports of entry, we might need some roads. That's, that's part of the negotiation. It's, it is not a negotiation for the president to say, isn't as what Congress, what did he say today? Congress is, it doesn't matter what Congress does. I knew that he wanted it all to himself. I mean, oh, really? A president who wants to have Congress be completely irrelevant in how we meet the needs of the American people? No, come on. Not Congress, just you. <laughs> you are pathetic. Yeah, you really are. But, uh, you know, listen, the president doesn't allow the, oh, look. The new contender, Cory Booker. Let's see. Let's tick off the categories. African-American, young. He's, he's in there. Leftist. <laughs> Did you see the video that he already came out with? It's oh, pretty Lord, good. Help me. It's, it's not bad for well, a political campaign video. It's pretty really? good. Really? Yeah. Does he dance? No. He just he hit, How he hits his points and stuff. And then he's got like, you know, the classic like band music. Not that one. But like, you know, like the, the, the football band music you know like uh, the marching why is he a football guy yeah he played tight end where some school i want to say penn state i want to say that but i'm not sure oh my i had no idea he certainly doesn't look like a much of a 
Yeah, I didn't, when somebody told me, I didn't believe it either. I was like, man, he doesn't look. You know what's really? Tall, but he didn't you know how good. I know that he'll never be the president? Why? If you go to Google, Google search engines mm-hmm. and you type in Corey, and ten names come up, and not one of them is Booker. That tells me everything I need to know about his possibilities. Well, you got Corey Feldman comes up, Corey Jones, Corey Taylor, Corey Haim, Corey Brewer, so, and no Corey Booker. Like, nobody's searching for this guy's name, uh, even today when he announced that he's uh, running for the presidency. Yeah. That tells you everything. Hey, let me tell you something. If you type in the word Joyce, I will come in in the top five. Now, you know, I have a lot of Democrat fans. Out of everybody that has announced, he's got more excitement, it seemed like, behind him. Like, more people are excited him announcing than Kamala Harris and then any that's announced so far, anyway. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, I've seen more people like, yeah, yay, Cory Booker. And I'm like, it's right. Spartacus. Yeah, pretty much. That's exactly what I thought. It's, oh, it's Spartacus. But mm-hmm. I, that lady, Williamson, I have no idea. What we're lacking is a sense of common purpose. I grew up knowing that the only way we can make change is when people come together. When I was a baby, my parents tried to move us into a neighborhood with great public schools. Realtors wouldn't sell us a home because the color of our skin. A group of white lawyers watched the courage of civil rights activists. I'll take your word for it. How do you not hear the Lex? I didn't hear it. I thought that was his music, the band. That he added it. That was his lobbyist thrown in there. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Oh, his his parents couldn't get a house. The realtors refused to to put a black family in that that neighborhood. Yeah, like white people. Something helped them do it. White lawyers, black people. They they just cannot for one minute allow people to uh, get along. If they get along, then these guys have no grievance. If they have no grievance, they can't win. Sad. It's really sad. But uh, I'm not buying it. And what I am buying is Laura Ingram's encouraging. By any objective analysis, Donald Trump's policies are working. Amen. We'll be right back. First of all, Donald Trump is president. So this idea of predicting who can win, we should throw all of that out the window. My strategy is not strategy. My strategy is that I seek to speak as deeply, articulately, and passionately as I can what I see to be the deeper truths confronting our nation, challenging our nation to live up to them. I'm speaking from the depth of myself to the depth of the American in all of us. This is not strategy. The the whole strategic mind is part of the corruption of the political system. I'm not trying to figure out what to say to get people to vote for me. I'm seeking to have the conversation that I believe we need to be having. These are very serious times. We need to be very serious deep thinkers. I'm not trying to get shallow or superficial so people will hear me. I'm inviting the American people to get deep with me. It's time for that in order to address these times and to transform them. We need a moral and a spiritual awakening in this country and nothing short of that is adequate to really fundamentally uh, change the patterns of our political dysfunction. There are many things we need to discuss, many things we need to name. We have an economic, an amoral economic system. We need to discuss this. We have millions of American children who are living in chronic despair and trauma. We need to discuss this. We have uh, systemic racism, layers of systemic racism that are actually layovers, leftovers from slavery. We need to discuss this. And while we're good at preparing for war, we do not wage peace on the levels we need to. We need to discuss this. You know, Frank, 
Franklin Roosevelt said that the administrative aspects of being president were secondary. What really matters, he says, is moral leadership. We need someone to articulate what's really happening, the deeper levels of our moral dysfunction. I have had a 35-year career in naming and transforming those dynamics, and I think that that's my qualification for the presidency at this uh, time. Oh, boy. <laughs> I happen to be a fan of Marianne Williamson's. Not like I follow her like she's my guru or anything, but I love love her meditations. She does some of the best, um, you know, 35, 40-minute meditations that you can find out there on YouTube or anywhere else. So I am a frequent um, user of Marianne Williamson's meditations. Uh, she is a spiritual person and inspiration a person, uh, guided imagery person. She's all of that. But um, the odds on her getting any kind of nomination from the Democrat Party right now, zero. 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 They just say she's not a real Democrat. Well, they just she doesn't know enough about politics. She knows a lot about everything else. But politics is not going to be transformed into a spiritual battlefield. It's just not. If I thought that there was a spiritual war going on, which I do, I wouldn't choose to ba- to uh, you know wage it on the D.C. battlefield. It's just not the place you want to do it. But I think it will make this a very interesting dynamic. That that's all I'm going to say. Now she claims she wants to run in the primary, um, and and be the Democrat candidate. I I don't think she has a prayer of doing that. Will she then launch an independent candidacy? Because that's what makes this fascinating to me. If she is telling the truth in what I heard her say over the last forty eight hours, that she needs to view this in a transformational, spiritual way, and not in a shallow, political way, then there's no room for her in either of the parties. They are not spiritual parties. They are a blood and guts party at this point, parties that disagree and clash all the time and now are are shattering years-long friendships, shattering family relationships and everything else. That's where politics are today. Uh, Marion Williamson can't meditate us into a different... uh, a different reality. It's just not, not going to happen. However, I would love to see her wage this spiritual campaign, um, you know, as a third-party candidate. I, would, I said earlier, I think I said it yesterday, I'd love to see two third-party candidates. See, in my opinion, Howard Schultz is the perfect third-party candidate because like Ross Perot, like Donald Trump, these guys have enough money that they could launch a third party and they can probably get on a lot of ballots, which somebody without any money is not going to be able to. So I was trying to figure out, you know, so I know what, um, I know what, uh, uh, what's his name, um, uh, Howard Schultz is uh, is worth. I know his net worth. It's pretty public. Uh, he's a billionaire. But I did not know what Marion Williamson's net worth was. So I set about to find that out last night because I think it's relevant no matter what. Um, she's 66 years old, which makes her just about my age. She lives in Houston, Texas. Um, she is. She identifies herself as a uh, the founder of Project Angel Food, which is a Meals on Wheels program for home bad, homebound pil- people with AIDS in L.A. 
She's the co-founder of the Peace Alliance, which is a grassroots campaign supporting legislation to establish a United States Department of Peace. I'm not kidding. This is how she identifies herself. She serves on the board of directors of the Results Organization to End Poverty in the United States. She's behind Sister Giant, a series of seminars and teaching sessions that provides women with information and tools needed to be political candidates. She encourages women to run for office and align their politics with their spiritual values. And uh, and that's pretty much... Uh, what you can find out about her on the internet. Now, when it comes to her net worth, uh, it's a little harder to find. Um, the only numbers that I was able to come up with are incomplete. Her life is not the proverbial um, billionaire open book. It's just not, which is very interesting because she could be worth a ton of money and uh, I'm just not able to find that out. Um, she is married. She is said to be worth, now, this is the only number that I could find, $700,000. That doesn't seem right. Well, now with her following and everything else she's done, it doesn't seem right. I'm telling you what it says. Okay. Maybe she maybe that's she her gives net up worth. All her money maybe. She might she might give up all her money. She's a spiritual author, a new age teacher and she's at the helm of these things. But here, this is my point. If you're worth $700,000, you can no longer run for president of the United States. It's just not not happening, not without a major party's backing. I mean, uh, if Cory Booker might not be worth much more than that, but he is going to, if he gets the nomination, he's going to have the backing of the Democrat Party. So it'll be worth a billion dollars right there. Um, she's not going to get the nomination, and she's not going to have the backing of any major party, and therefore she needs to be more than almost a millionaire to compete. So we'll see. But, uh, but I think it would be very interesting. You know, Howard Schultz has a whole new agey side to him. This might be an interesting ticket. Howard and Marion Williamson. I, I disagree with you on that. Because if Bernie proved anything with those little $20 donations, you can hang around quite well with just getting a bunch of donations in the small format. She like said she's, she not gonna, she's not going to, you know, where, where is she going to, um, she has to get shallow to do that. Bernie was shallow. You get, you got to get in the trenches to raise money online. Um, you can't you can't be a spiritual guru and then in the next breath say, "But could you send me twenty bucks? Well, Loan me fifty dollars." Twitter following out everybody running and somebody made that a point. I was like, "That doesn't matter." What about her? Somebody made that a point. Yeah, well, then Cardi B might be the next president, or you know, uh, Jermaine Jackson. I mean, what, your Twitter following ain't gonna get you elected. Uh, that somebody made that a point. I forgot who. I think it was on CNN actually. When I was cutting that audio, they had made that a point. I was mm -hmm. like, that yeah. doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. Um, but like I said, I would be so excited just to see um, that element in the in the race i mean think about it you know they're all up there in the democrat primary you got like you know 45 candidates or whatever and they break them down into groups and marion williamson will fall into the bottomest group because she doesn't have any standing as a politician the group like the lindsey graham yeah, and those yeah, guys she'll be the, the children's table as they referred to it in the in the uh, republican primary so she'll be at the children's table and it'll be like who'll be the other like you know gr gritty people that'll be down there with her like this uh the gay mayor from uh 
Texas, and 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 they'll all be standing up there. And by the way, I I'm not calling him the gay mayor. That's what he calls himself. Okay, you know that's yeah, what, how he refers to himself. So I'm on TV last night talking. Somebody asked him, "Do you really think the co- country's ready for a gay?" Uh, president and you know he said well they were they didn't think they were ready for the gay mayor and I'm the gay mayor so if he calls himself that I feel comfortable calling him that but uh, she um, she she would be on that panel with the the probably the mayor maybe who else do you think might might be I want there, Castro know? down there because I, yeah I Julian don't like him. Julian okay. Castro will be on there um, and some of these other fringe candidates who we can't even remember yet yeah I don't remember none of those right guys. and so they'll all be there and they'll be like. Well, I, you know, I reject Donald Trump and I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to d- d- dissolve the Second Amendment. No more guns. And Marion Williams will go, um, um, and you know, it's it would be not going to work. If they did like inter- intermissions and stuff and they'd be like, and Marion Williams said. Will lead us in, <laughs> said, a, yeah. in a spiritual moment. Um, I, I mean, I'm just, I would love it because it would be exciting to watch. You know, yoga, you know, th- this will be the first presidential candidate, unlike Hillary Clinton, who just said she did yoga, who actually does yoga. And yeah. then Harold Schwartz would just come out with coffee afterwards. Don't you think that would be a great ticket? <laughs> Schultz and, and I Williamson? I was thinking that. I honestly what was a great thinking like an ticket. independent ticket. Or what a great ticket. It's the, you know, if you're just after the fight that's going to go on in the primary and then the fight that's going to go on in the general election, like, you know, I just might vote for them. You know, I... I, no, I I'm not voting for them. I just might. Hey, I just I, might. I, I, everybody's going to do like the protest vote. We really hated the the candidates, or or we we didn't like the fact that uh, you know that 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 uh, whatever. I, I I could see myself saying like, yeah, I'm voting for Schultz and Williamson. I'm wearing a Schultz and Williamson button. How about that? And maybe a Schultz and Williamson hat, and maybe a Schultz and Williamson shirt. You're not. You would never. I, I am. You'd see me. Maybe. I'm supporting the Schultz Williamson candidacy if they run together on one ticket and they could call it like the the ohm ticket or they could call it like the the uh, crystal ticket you know the the crystal party come on it's exciting yes you know this are you talking about like the energy crystal yeah crystal people you know she's a crystal person she's a new age guru right they could call it the like the new the new age party right uh, New energy. A little yoga, a little Starbucks. It's all good, you know. We're all mellow now. You don't think so? This is crazier than the Bernie people, what you're just suggesting right there. All the Bernie people will become the Schultz. No, they Williams. Won't. Yes, they will. You think so? I do. I think so. As a matter of fact, Bernie will be appointed her campaign manager. It would be. That'd be funny. Yeah. Anyway, just just a little pipe dreaming here. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Well, I don't know what that is about Fridays, but... Uh, well, remember the crazy Fridays we used to have where we would talk everything but politics? Uh, yeah. That didn't last. Yeah, they took me off your show. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, sometimes I, I wonder why anybody would consider going into um, journalism. You know, because really, they've all shown their true colors, right? And they really just want to be pundits. Nobody really wants to be a reporter. I never wanted to be a reporter, so I can totally relate to this, right? I have absolutely no um, desire to be dispassionate when I report the news. 
that's not what I do. You know, if I wanted to do that, well, I don't. I don't want to do that. I can't even like f- f- figure out a way to tell you how I would do that because I don't want to do it. I always wanted to be um, a an editorialist, not a reporter. So that's why talk radio was the medium for me. Um, but I, I'm trying to imagine what is it like if you go to the Columbia School of Journalism right now, which is a left-leaning um, institution with left-leaning professors, and you go in there and you say, hey, I want to be a reporter, like a straight-up reporter. I want to go in, get the facts, report the news. I mean, do they, do they like lock you in a room and and you know pin your eyes open like they did in a clockwork orange and make you watch a hundred hours of uh you know anderson cooper and and rachel maddow i mean i don't i don't know how you could take a, a straight up reporter and turn them into a a biased uh pundit otherwise right because there must be somebody who desires to do that i know i don't but there's got to be somebody. I mean, Karen Curtis, she was a great reporter. You know, she did straight up news, uh, television anchor, all that stuff. She she liked reporting the news. She really didn't enjoy um, giving her opinion because when I first got her, you know, got involved with her years ago, um, I said, don't you want to do this? And she said, not really. And I said, we well, ought to try it. It's like a lot more fun. And she would try it and she go, I don't like it. You know, I, I prefer factoring, getting the facts, uh, you know, getting multiple sources. And I said, well, good. They'll you know you're the last of a dying breed that's all i know and it was true she would come in when she was producing my show and she would go you're not to run with that we don't have anything to back it up um that's just one obscure website and it's not sufficient to take it and i would go but karen i i don't you know i don't pretend that i've done all that research she goes yes but as long as i'm working on your show you're not doing that and i didn't I didn't do it. You know, she was right. She did not let me run with stories that had not been, you know, at least double sourced. You know, she wanted everything triple sourced or, you know, five sources that that line up. And and that's a real reporter. But I don't know anybody else left in the business who thinks that way. They just want to be, uh, you know, the, the face of their opinion. Who are you pointing to? No, I said, or the first. They always want to either be the first, even if the facts aren't there. She did not care about being the first. I would say to her, look, we got this story. We got to run with this story. Nobody else is doing this story. And she goes, they're not doing with it because it's not been validated, you know. And and I learned to to be a little more um, pensive before going, is that me? That's your email. Oh. Now that we got the new emails, we have to set them all back up to not do that anymore. I'll just mute the site for now. Yeah.